Well, good morning. I'm uh, ex- excited to get into the Word this morning. I don't know. I don't. I was trying to figure out why I was excited to get into the Word this morning, in particular this passage, and I really can't find a reason. Um, but I think maybe it has something to do with so far through the book of Malachi, if you followed along, we've kind of built an anticipation up to this point where God is outlining these condemnations and these accusations against the people of Israel about specific sins that are taking place in their lives. And then last week, we finally got to the part where God says, and this is how you can fix it. We've kind of gotten to the climax, I guess. And now, where we are this morning, God's going to continue to develop this idea of returning to Him. The focus in the book of Malachi has simply been on genuine worship. Calling the people back to genuine worship. And last week, after seeing all of these different sins outlined, the answer that God provides is simply that the people will not be able to overcome the sin that causes them to falter in worship on their own but that God has a plan to send His Son. He has a plan to send His Son into the world, send a messenger into the world even before Him, and then after Him, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to provide this ministry of sanctification, this continual growing in holiness to the people. And and through this ministry, people are actually going to be able to overcome sinfulness in their lives. And this is where it gets so exciting, because it reminds us that we're not the ones in control, that we never were the ones in control. And in light of all of these uh, falterings that are outlined, the, the people not observing God's love for themselves, the people bringing tainted sacrifices and worshiping with a heart that wasn't in the right place. These people even going so far to to break the covenant of God by worshiping idols, to break the covenant with their wives that was witnessed by God by divorcing their Hebrew wives for women of other nations. And all of these different sins, God says, I have an answer for you. Now, I do want to say one thing. Our text this morning has to deal with money. I'm going to be talking about money this morning. And I don't know why that's so awkward for me. Because I think I talked about more egregious sins a couple of weeks ago, but it feels so awkward to talk about money. And I suppose it has something to do with the culture that we live in. Um, Maybe it's okay to talk about sins of the flesh, but to talk about money, that's just a little awkward. And I guess the other part of it is my fear would be that somebody would be visiting with us this morning Maybe for the first time visiting a church and they would think to themselves, oh, look at this, I was right. Churches care about money. So 
let me just set the record straight or at least attempt to set the record straight before we get moving. We've been preaching through books of the Bible. Before Malachi, we were going through the book of Hebrews, and now we've been going through the book of Malachi. The fact is, when we get here and we talk about money in Malachi chapter 3, it's because the Bible teaches about money. Uh, So we've got to talk about money, at least some of the time. In fact, Jesus taught a whole lot about money during his earthly ministry, so this is something we've, we've got to... It would be a shame if we avoided this because it made me feel uncomfortable. And so I'm going to be uncomfortable this morning, and if you're uncomfortable, we can start a support group afterwards and be uncomfortable together. But we've got to get through this, and, and so I think before we begin, let's just pray for a soft spirit, that we would have soft hearts that are willing to hear this message and, and hear what God is saying through His revealed Word, not through me, but through His revealed Word. And so... Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and for giving it to us. And God, we acknowledge the gift that it is in our lives. And we realize that your word is completely inspired by you, that it is completely sufficient for all things that we need, not only in faith, but all things that we need in life. And so God, I pray that you would Just bring us into a compliance with that, that we would acknowledge the sufficiency of your word and and that we would have a heart that's ready to receive what is written in your word. And God, I just pray that you would open our eyes this morning to the amazing truths in your law. In Jesus' heavenly name I pray, amen. Well, let's begin then by reading God's word. I'd like you to read along with me, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Malachi chapter 3. Picking up where we left off, so we are in verse 6, and we will be reading all the way through verse 12 in the same chapter. And the Bible says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, and you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and your field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then... All nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The first thing that we see uh, looking at this passage this morning in verse 6 is this acknowledgement of God's nature. It was something that we would call God's immutability, that he does not change. And God acknowledges this. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. He does not change. If you remember where we picked up, last, where we were last week, or where we're picking up from, from last week, 
I don't know the best way to say that. Anyways, forget prepositions. We're picking up from last week. And, and what we were talking about then was that the people were accusing God of blessing those who didn't deserve to be blessed. That the people were accusing God. They were saying, look, God, there's these people and they live lives and they don't worship you. And I, even if I don't do it right, at least I make the attempts to worship you. And I see you blessing them more than you're blessing me. At least temporarily, at least in earth, I see them having more success than I have. And and I'd like to be more like them. And so worshiping you, God, it's vanity because where are my blessings? And, And God says... His, his, his response is, I will judge the wicked. I am coming to judge the wicked. And God says, I'm coming to judge them swiftly. But you are not consumed. Because he's also coming with a refiner's fire. And this whole ministry of sanctification that we talked about last week, because God does not change. Think back all the way to the beginning of this book. God says, I have loved you. I have chosen to love you. And I have not changed. I still love you. And even though you're no less wicked than those who will receive swift judgment, I have chosen to love you. And so you are not consumed Look at where verse 6 keeps going. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You instead are refined. The impurities in your life, they're taken away, but you are left and you are refined and you're made more valuable than silver and more valuable than gold because I, God, love you and I treasure you and I'm going to be the one in the business of making you worthy of me. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to wash you. That you might be a holy nation set apart for me. How exciting. Because God does not change. We're not consumed. We are refined. This morning, if this doesn't make you marvel at God's nature, I don't know what will. Just think about where we've come so far in the text. Over the past several weeks, we've since starting this study, we've dove into specific issues. Worshiping God half-heartedly, abandoning their covenant with God, and yet demanding that God still uphold His end of the deal. Turning away from their wives in adultery turning away from their God in idolatry, more concerned with the blessings that they would receive than the obedience that they would live out. And in light of all of these things, these atrocities, God does not change. And His faithfulness does not change. He remains faithful to an unfaithful people. Wow. 
He remains faithful. I, I, I keep saying that only because there's no way for me to emphasize that more. Just remember where we've been. And he remains faithful. And we think back to this ministry of sanctification that not only would it be God's will that Christians and that his people would become saved, that they would become justified, but that they would continue onward in sanctification, progressive salvation, if you will. Continually being made more holy, more refined. And and when we look at this, God hasn't changed. We have to change. And we have to rely on Him to be the driving force in that. His consistency provides for us all the energy that we need to be changed ourselves. I said a couple of weeks ago, many times people will say, I feel far away from God. I can't connect with God. My faith has fallen flat. For whatever reason, I can't connect with Him. And because God is unchanging, we know He didn't go anywhere. God did not withdraw Himself from us. The fact of the matter is, when we feel distance from God, it's us who's put the distance between us and Him. And he didn't put any roadblocks there either. All we have to do is simply return to him. And the people acknowledge this finally. Last week I said that they were kind of diverting attention away from themselves so that they could point at these other wicked people and say, God, we'll talk about them. It's much less convicting if you don't talk about me specifically. Well, this week, finally, they say, okay, God, you win. What do I need to do to turn to you? What do I need to do to return to you? And God says... Pretty clearly, return to surrendering to me. Return to acknowledging that all things are from me. But he doesn't say it in those words. Instead, the Bible says, God says, that the people have been robbing him. And here's the interesting thing about this word rob. If you look in the Hebrew, this word might have a different... This is one possible translation, but another translation of the word that they're getting the word rob from might be to plunder. Not just to rob, but to take what doesn't belong to them. To plunder God. But God, how have we plundered you? In your tithes and in your contributions. The people are withholding a true tithe from God. They are plundering what belongs to God and does not belong to them. And the Bible says then in verse 9, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. I feel bad. I feel like I lied to you this morning. I said we finally come down that climax, and now God's providing for us the answers. And... There's more accusations to come. God says, you are robbing me. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Let's pause for a second and talk about this word tithe. I think we need to define what we're talking about before we can really move on. This word tithe 
literally means tenth. That's what it means. It cannot mean a fifth. It cannot mean a twentieth. It means tenth. And some people will say that, well, we're under the new covenant of grace, and therefore there is no commandment for Christians in 2021 to, to observe the tithe. That that was an Old Testament thing that they gave a tithe. And so there's no reason for people under the new covenant to give a tithe. And there's some problems with that logic. First, the tithe did not have anything to do with the law that God gave to Moses. It predates the law. Abraham. And uh, let me look at my notes. I think it's Genesis. Oh, I was going to be wrong. It's Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. Abraham is seen giving a tithe to the priest Melchizedek. The tithe predates the law of Moses. So to say that this is an issue of the New Testament and the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is irrelevant. But secondly, I will acknowledge that the Old Covenant, the law given to Moses by God, affirms the tithe in several places, but I think most notably Leviticus 27.32. And so this pre-dating practice of giving a tithe is affirmed in God's revealed law. Okay, so now there's this issue of understanding a tenth. Before, before we really understand a tithe, if we look at the law and the Hebrew tradition, there wasn't just one tithe. There was a tithe that they gave weekly, There was a tithe that they gave annually. And then there was another tithe that was just designated specifically for the poor, for taking care of the poor. You add all that up. The people weren't just giving 10% in the law. It was something more like between 20 and 30%. Okay, why does that matter? Because I'm not saying this because I'm trying to harbor on what a tithe is. I really am just trying to explain what a tithe is when it's mentioned here in our text. Because we are under the new covenant, and so there are some different rules that we get to play by. The thing that we need to realize, though, is that nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus ever teach that the commandments... And the things that are in the Old Testament are lessened by grace. In fact, they're normally made greater and more severe. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching and teaching to the people. And he says, you have heard that if you commit adultery, that's a sin, that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You've heard that it's a sin that you should not murder. Don't murder. Well, I tell you, anyone that hates his brother has already murdered him in his heart. The new covenant amplifies these things even more. And and so when it comes to the tithe, if we look at the early church, we went from giving 10% in the Old Testament to, to now in the New Testament, 
the commandment's really to give 100%. So get out your checkbooks. We're going to take up our morning off. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I'm just trying to teach, this, teach what's in the Bible, and that's, that's not at all what I'm trying to say. Regardless, Jesus taught about the tithe. Paul carried on this teaching when he wrote to the churches that he was planting. But the real issue isn't about giving. And here's really what I want to emphasize this morning. When we talk about the tithe or when we talk about giving, we think about it often, our initial response is, let's think about this is God asking for something from me. And this is silliness. What does God need from us? Not a zilch. Nothing. Not a thing. We know that all of these commandments and, and all of these obligations or, or instructions that we're given to obey, we say over and over again that these things are there for our benefit. That God's given us these instructions so that we might live a better life. In fact, a life that is more reflective of what God would have for us. That we might be able to embrace God's image within us by getting rid of all of the garbage. So when we think about giving, instead of thinking about what God wants from us, I'd really like us to think about this biblically because it's not about what God wants from us. It's what God wants for us. Follow me here. This is about what God wants for us. Because God acknowledges and, and knows His people probably better than we know ourselves. Look at verse 7. All the way since the beginning of time, the Bible says, From the days of your fathers you have not turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. All of these issues we've been talking about aren't old issues. This, I'm sorry, they aren't new issues. They aren't new issues. This has been happening since the beginning of time. We've made it all the way through the Old Testament. We're at the very last book. Jesus is about to enter the scene. And all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, man has been failing God. We have been not destroying, but we've been muddling the image of God that lives in us by allowing sin into our lives. God starts, He creates man in His image, sin enters the scene, and now it's going to become a little distorted. It's going to become a little bit distorted by sin. And so all these issues presented in Malachi, even this particular issue, pillaging God with our tithes and with our contributions, even this issue comes back to sin. It's, it's denying the image of God that's inside of us. And God knew this. And in fact, part of the reason that He set up the tithe, just like He set up the Sabbath, a day of rest, that we would remember that we're created in God's image so that we could rest, so that we could recognize that it's not just us doing the work. He sets up the tithe as a reminder that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have starts with God. 
So what are we doing when we fail here? What's the sin issue that prevents us from acknowledging sin? Maybe this sin. Maybe even what is the sin issue that makes me more uncomfortable to talk about this than the, the reference I made two weeks ago to pornography? I felt less uncomfortable then than I do talking about this now. Why? This is just, this is silliness. As a pastor, I've had a lot of people come and confess things to me. Not so much here, so I can talk about all of them. I'm just kidding. No, I have. I've had, I've had parents come to me and, and tell me that they were failing as parents, that they felt unworthy of, the, of their children. I've had students come to me and, and say that they were wrapped up in situations that I can't even imagine, and I, I feel like I can imagine a lot. All these, I've never had anyone come to me and, and say, Brother Derek, I'm just overwhelmed because I've realized how greedy I am. I'm overrun, Brother Derek, with myself because I've realized how selfish I am. And I think that's why it's hard for me to talk about this. Because this issue addresses greed and selfishness. Greed and selfishness. When we fail to acknowledge this tithe. Think about it. Don't raise your hands. Maybe raise your hands. But think about this. Is there anyone in your life that you know and you think, man, I wish I had what they had? Every single one of us can raise our hands on that one. And you know what? We don't have to think very hard about it, do we? In fact, we probably think about it a lot, pretty frequently. You know what's funny about that? I love all this talk about the the top 2% in America and uh, unequal distribution of wealth and, and all of these types of things and we're all trying to get ahead and everything else. You realize if you woke up this morning and you were able to eat food, you're already in the world's top 2% and that's not even talking about money in the bank. But we want more, don't we? We want more. And we think about stuff like this. We've got so much stuff. Still want more stuff. Tell you what, I want more stuff to put my stuff in. What I want really, what, I want, what I'm coveting right now is I want some new garage shelves that are really deep that can hold, so that I can put my stuff in tubs and label them and keep them organized in the garage. I need stuff for my stuff. 
And you know what's wonderful about it? When I finally work up the courage to do it, I'll just walk out into the living room and say, Alexa, send me more stuff. That's all I have to do. Two days, my stuff is going to be on the front door. I don't even really have to think about it. You really don't have to think about getting more stuff, do you? Now put this in contrast to giving. What does it look like when we need to consider giving? When we need to consider our contributions? And literally, all I do, walk out into the living room, Alexa, send me stuff. Two days, Alexa, put stuff on the front porch. And I'm in the world's top 2% because I don't have to worry about eating food in the morning. And so when I hear about those other 98%, what's the process I go to to think about giving? First, I pause. I'm going to consider it myself. And what that really means, if I forget about it, I'm just going to let myself forget about it. And if I don't forget about it, okay, now I want to go to Michelle and say, Michelle, hey, I'm thinking about this. Michelle, I think we should give here. You think about it. And what that really means is, Michelle, if you forget about it, we'll just, we won't talk about it again. You think about it. If you feel as compelled as I do, then, then we'll give. Well, and what I mean by we'll give is I'll go look at the budget and I'll see if it's possible. There's a whole process for giving, isn't there? Now, if it's stuff, that's very short. I'll just... If, I can't, if Alexa doesn't have it, I'll just go to the place. I've got this thing, and I'll just hand it to the person, and then I'll get my stuff. Giving's much different, isn't it? Giving is much different. You know, I wonder, what would it look like if, if these things were reversed? What if I didn't think so much about giving, and I really thought about the things... My stuff. Because here's the problem. Continually, I'm confused. I have confused these two ideas, these two phrases. I want and I need. I want and I need. And so when it comes to giving, I've pushed myself so far. Man, seriously. If you pulled someone in off the street and you brought them into the church and you started talking about giving 10%, they would go, I don't have anything in my budget that takes up an entire 10%, maybe my mortgage. Culturally, we are so caught up with stuff, there's not room for, for anything else. That's why when I, when I was in youth ministry, I told my students, 16-year-olds, as soon as they got a job, don't forget about the tithe. Because if you can't be faithful right now with a little bit, there's no way you are going to be faithful whenever you have a lot. Everyone's sitting back and they're waiting and they're saying, okay, well, I'll start tithing when I get that next raise. I'll start tithing when I pay off this next car. And it's never going to work because that's not God's order of things. God's order is that we acknowledge that everything comes from Him, and in acknowledging that we, everything comes from Him, we sacrifice. We downsize. We, we consider things that are more important than my stuff. Because we're talking about eternity. We're talking about the kingdom. 
We're talking about being able to do more. Why don't we have that same attitude towards giving as we do towards our stuff? Greed. Selfishness. No one had to teach you how to be greedy. No one had to teach you how to be selfish. I'm already watching Charlotte coming up to me and she looks at the table and she says, that's mine. I promise I didn't teach her that. She's that way because I'm that way. Let's keep moving. We understand the problem here. Greed and selfishness prevent us from just worshiping God with our finances. Greed and sin and selfishness, these things, they make it more un- make me more uncomfortable talking about this than all sorts of other issues that I think are way more uncomfortable. At least they should be. And why are we talking about it? Keep going. Look at what the Bible says in verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And watch this. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find God say this, except right here. And thereby put me to the test. God doesn't say that anywhere else in the Bible, but right here. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and put me to the test. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now be careful here because we could misunderstand this. We could misunderstand this. We could read into this really fast. So we have to be careful in, in reading this. There's this false gospel that's getting real popular in the world called the prosperity gospel. Basically says that God cares about your wealth and health and prosperity. It's not true. We already know God cares more about our holiness than He does our happiness. God cares more about our holiness than He does our happiness. So and in this instruction... He says, put me to the test. I'm going to pour down blessings for you. This isn't saying give so that you can get, because if you did that, you did it wrong to begin with. You gave the wrong way. You already failed. No blessings for you. But what God is saying is he wants you to do this, not because he needs something from you, but because he wants something for you, because he's willing to bless you. And here's the real secret sauce. This is what we need to remember this morning whenever we leave. God knows that we think that we can find peace and satisfaction in all of our stuff. He knows we're crazy. He knows that we think, if I can just get the newer car, I will be satisfied with all of my stuff. If I can get my garage organized with those big shelves, and the big tubs, and like the sturdy tubs, not the ones that, you know, like they sit out in the winter for two seasons, and then you pull them out, and they crush and crumble. 
No, the sturdy ones, the big ones. With room for a really clear label on the front. Anyway, I'm getting excited. It's coming, Michelle. <laughs> then I'll be satisfied. Probably not. Because after that, what I probably am going to want is a winch that comes down out of the attic so that I don't have to lift the Christmas tree up like I did a couple of weeks ago. I can just put the winch down and it goes up and then I swing it off to the side, let out some slack and it lands. Done. I've got ideas, y'all. It's going to be awesome. But my point is I'm never going to be satisfied with all of this stuff. God wants me to know real satisfaction real satisfaction, and he knows the only way I'm going to be able to experience it is if I put my trust in him. The only way I'm, I'm really going to experience peace is if I allow myself to fully rely on him. If I surrender myself to him, if I acknowledge that I don't want to care about the things that I care about anymore, I want to care about the things that you care about, God. I want to be somebody that cares about the people like you care about them. I want to care about the church the way that you care about her. And, and surrender myself. 10% is a lot. I wasn't raised in church. And, and so I did not tithe for a long time. It was foreign to me. I thought a tithe was a $20 bill you threw in. And I really kind of, I had this backwards idea that that was like some church membership fee. Like I paid that, that was my dues so that I could, and that's not right. Because church membership doesn't have anything to do with tithing. It was an act of worship. And so I started understanding this, and I, I remember the first time I looked at the budget. When was it? It would have been 2017, something, 2018 maybe. First time I looked at the budget, and I said, okay, we're going to do this right. I'm going to redo the budget. I'm going to take everything out. I'm going to put all the line items in. I'm adding a tithe item. And I'm setting it at 10% of what we are anticipating making. Period. And I filled everything. And there wasn't, it didn't add up. The first time I did it, you guys, it didn't add up. There wasn't enough left over for all of the other line items. Something was going to sacrifice, whether it was gas money, whether it was something was, it didn't add up. And so the first month, I didn't give a full 10%. I gave more than I had ever given, more consistently. But then the next month, I thought, you know what? No, this is an act of worship, and God can do more than I expect. And I said, I'm going to do this the way God tells me to, and I'm just going... I'm just going to trust that it's going to be okay. I'm not advocating being reckless with your finances. I'm telling you my personal testimony when it comes to tithing. And so that's what I did. I said, 10%, it's going in. God's going to come through. We did that for a straight year. No issues. 
I can't tell you how it worked out. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a type A engineering, you know, I look at the lines, I like this stuff. I like data and I like numbers and I talk to them and I see them in colors and I can smell them and I think they're fun. And I can't tell you how it worked out every single month that God provided what we needed. It was, and because he was pouring down blessings, but it wasn't because I gave so that I could get. It's because God was going to take care of me in this. And I said that I wanted to worship you and I wanted to give and and be committed to the things that you're committed to. Not in an obligatory way, but every single week, God, I want to remember that I am nothing without you. I don't come proudly. I'm acknowledging that I am nothing without God. So that He can really start to do the work. Because these blessings that He's talking about, I think the bigger part, these are spiritual blessings, you guys. Because when we actually sacrifice ourselves in this way, when we actually start to surrender to God in this way, in tangible ways, we get to experience this peace. We get to experience satisfaction that will not come from anything in this world. And we get to experience it for ourselves. God's ready to bless us if we will return to Him. And God's able to do more exceedingly and abundantly more than we can possibly imagine. You put this into perspective of the church. We were looking at our church budget a couple of Sunday nights ago because we were talking about our mission statement and our vision statement and our church values and all of these different things. And and for a second, you know, I thought, let's just dream for a second. What would Denver Street look like five years from now? And we started talking about our dreams and everything that we were planning and, and just exciting stuff. We've got people here that really care about reaching the lost. And we've got people here that really care about fellowship and discipleship and growing and becoming mature Christians and all of these different things. And I'm looking at our church budget and there's already so many things that our church is doing that we get that we can really celebrate. Did you know at minimum 15 percent of our budget is set aside for contributing to missions? That's a tithe and a half. Did you know in the past year we have line item budgeted $2,400 support to a church plant locally that is reaching the lost? And by the way, you guys, that church plant is getting mature. We're not going to be a mama church or a mother church. Sorry. We're not going to be a mother church much longer. Who are we going to send next? Who's the next church planter that gets to get sent out from here? 
I'm not interested in growing a mega church here. I'm interested in maturing the saints and equipping the saints to fulfill the work of ministry because I think that's what the Bible says. And to do that, we've got to have disciples who are making disciples, and we have to be a church that is planting churches. How are we going to do that if we don't plan for it? Look, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not preaching this message because there's a giving campaign at the moment or because there's something that the church needs you to contribute to or anything like that. I am preaching this message because it's what's in the Word of God as we work through the book of Malachi. But you guys, I know that there are people in this room who are tithing faithfully. And I know that there are some people that maybe don't feel ready for that next step. The Bible says you're robbing God. If we put that in the right perspective, this is what it is. You're robbing yourself of the blessings that God has for you. Because this church has an amazing vision. And we're going to trust Him to lead us and to provide for us in all of these things. But we've got to do it together. And let me tell you something. The money that we might raise from people being faithful in their tithes and contributions is nothing compared to the united front that the saints of God's kingdom will make up whenever we all come to His altar together and we say, God, without you, I am nothing. Just saying.